Traders Point, how we doing? Hey, it's so good to be with you today. Everyone at the campuses, at our physical campuses, everyone watching online. So glad that you're spending part of your weekend with us. And just want to kick today off with some Christmas announcements, all right? We're about a week and a half away from beginning to celebrate all that is Christmas. And we're going to have a bunch of opportunities, both at our physical campuses, online for you to catch as well. And we just want to give you two ways to partner with us as we prepare and get ready to help us to create the best experience possible for everyone that's going to be with us this season. And the first one is we have a RSVP system. I mean, it's not a complete reservation system where you're locked in, but really it's just a chance for you to go in and let us know what service you're thinking about attending. And it's also for you because you'll be able to see who else is RSVP. So if you are not maybe a crowd person, you can be like, I'm definitely avoiding that service. I'm going to go over here. Uh, so that's there for you. But that just helps us be prepared. And the second thing is serving. As you can imagine, it takes a lot to pull off a service, a lot to pull off that many services in such a short amount of time. And really, we just want to be prepared as possible to remove as many barriers as we can so people can come in and celebrate the birth of Jesus. All of that, anything you need to know about Christmas, RSVPs, serving, invitations to invite people to either watch with you online or to come with you to a campus, that is all on our website and our app. You cannot miss it. But I, for one, I am excited that the conversation has fully shifted to all things Christmas. Anybody else in here with me excited to celebrate the Christmas season? I've always loved it. I have always been excited, like even as a kid, like talk about an anxious Christmas. I was always the last one to go to bed and the first one to wake up if I even did go to sleep. Like I was the kid that would sneak into the parents' bedroom. Any parents in the room ever been woken up with one of these? <laughs> just see some eyes at the foot of the bed and you don't even say anything. You just stare into their souls until they wake up and you just wait. And then your parents wake up like, goo, what? What are you doing? Oh, you're up? You want to go open presents? No, it's 3.30 in the morning? Okay, I'll go watch the Christmas story one more time and then uh, we'll open presents when I, when I get back. But I've always loved Christmas. But we, but we have to address the elephant in the room, right? This year, there's another conversation going on. How is Christmas going to happen? What's it going to look like? How do Christmas and COVID mesh? There's lots of murmurs, all right? And I think there's a commercial that sums it up perfectly. Maybe you've seen it. It's actually a Meyer commercial. And this family sitting in the living room, they're decorating for Christmas. And there's this little girl sitting on the couch and she's like, ugh, it doesn't even feel like Christmas. Why don't they just cancel Christmas? They've canceled everything else. <clears throat> and you just wanna be like, what did you say? But there's some truth in it. Anyone had that feeling going into the holidays? Like, I'm just putting my head down. Everyone's getting the minimum. Don't expect any big gifts, all right? Well, I'm not wasting them on this season. I'll get you in 2021. We're already looking ahead to the next thing. Not today. If there is anything that we need to do in this season, it is not to rush past it or to look ahead to what's next. It's to stop. 
and to celebrate, when everything else is speeding up, to stop and to say, nothing can cancel Christmas. There is no power strong enough to stop what God put into motion 2,000 years ago. That this Christmas season, nothing can take, it may look different, but nothing can take away the message of Christmas and all that it stands for. And there's several themes that God portrays perfectly in the Christmas story. But one that we wanna highlight today, one that we wanna focus in on is this, and maybe it's gonna sound different to you. You are not forgotten. Maybe you're like, I don't know if that's a Christmas message, but it is so, maybe more so than ever that this is what it is, that you are not forgotten, that that's what the Christmas story says. That in the midst of everything, that it's not just bright lights and, and warm nights by the fire and hot chocolate and those tiny little marshmallows. The message of Christmas is that God is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that you never have to feel alone or forgotten that he would wrap himself in the flesh and bones that he spoke into existence and join in on the human experience so that you could never have to feel it. Because feeling forgotten is maybe one of the worst feelings in the world. You ever, you ever, you ever been forgotten? You ever felt forgotten? Ironically, it's a feeling you never forget. <laughs> Honestly. I can remember being forgotten. It's going to sound crazy to you. Almost 30 years ago, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it sounds better. Almost 30 years ago when I was in kindergarten and I remember going out to get picked up at the end of the day, like I always do. And I'm standing there on the curb with my teacher and all the other kids and the rides are coming. And then, you know, car pulls up, kid gets in, car pulls up, kid gets in. Very simple process. All the cars are gone. Just me and the teacher. And there's this that overwhelming feeling of they forgot me. What do I do? Where do I go? And I know kindergartners today, I mean, you probably have a cell phone, so you can just call someone, send a text message, <laughs> call an Uber. I'm getting home one way or the other. Thanks, Siri. Um, I didn't have that. All I had was some lady named Nancy with her hand on my shoulder trying to comfort me as we walk down a dark hallway, not knowing what is gonna happen next. Being forgotten, even the feeling of being forgotten, we've all experienced it. Whether it was you're sitting at home, you're looking through social media and you see maybe one, two, three, all of your friends out and you're like, huh, did they forget? Um, did they forget to mention me? Maybe my service is, is maybe I'm in a bad spot. Like why would, why would I not be asked to be here? You ever been forgotten, abandoned, looked past? Is this feeling that it's so hard to forget? But Jesus comes in the Christmas season to make one thing very clear, even in this season, in this season of loneliness, in this season of darkness, in this season to say, I'm gonna start something. I'm gonna begin something, a plan that's gonna do everything that is needed so that you will never have to feel that forever. That there will come a day where you will know without a shadow of a doubt that I was willing to do anything for you. 
And that started on Christmas. It's a plan that we celebrate every single year at this time of the year, the Christmas story. But, but long before it was a plan, it was a prophecy. It was a prophecy. And maybe that's a word that, that doesn't sound familiar to you. But a prophecy is simply a promise that God made that hasn't come true yet, but it will. It's a, it's a promise that God made that he says, this is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but you can take my word, it's going to. The Bible's filled with them. Prophecies, promises that God would speak and then later up follow through on those. Do you ever think about why? Why would God do that? It's because he wants us to trust him with all the other voices, with everything else that's going around trying to, to take our minds and distract us, God wants us to be able to look to him and say, hey, I'm faithful and I'm willing to put my name on it. And I'm gonna say all of these things and you can look back and you can know generation after generation, I was faithful, all of these prophecies. And then there's a handful of them targeted at one specific thing. It's something called the Messiah, this messianic king, this one that God would send forward, that he would actually restore the relationship between God and all of humanity. It was one that they looked forward to. And there's all kinds of prophecies about this Messiah, about this King, very specific promises as to where he will be born, what town, as to what family he's gonna come through, to how he's gonna be born of a virgin, Kind of a bold call on that one, all right? You gotta be pretty confident going into it. All the way to when this Messiah comes, these are the things you can look forward to him doing. All of this, all of these promises. And what's wild is that every promise of God comes true in Jesus. Every single promise God ever made came true and is coming true in Jesus which is wild. It's not just something that sounds amazing. The idea that this could happen is almost unfathomable. There's a, a, a person much smarter than me, uh, a professor of mathematics, actually tried to sit down and do the numbers to try to say, if, if this were to be true, if th this amount of prophecies could come true in one person, what would the odds be? And they're off the charts. So he starts with a really low number. Remember there's hundreds, but he says, if just eight, if just eight of these prophecies could be fulfilled by one person, here are the odds. Eight prophecies fulfilled, that's 10 to the 17th power. And maybe you're like, what number is that? It's this number, 100 bajillion, quadrillion, million. I'm not gonna disrespect you by reading the number. You know what that number is, 100. It's a lot, all right? <laughs> the odds are off the charts and that's with eight. God is making it overly clear. The odds can be stacked against him. It may not make any sense in our minds, but God can come through. This, this number, it is so big and so wild. Remember, it's for eight. He actually gives an illustration to go along with that 100 billion, jillion, million. He says, what is that like? But what are the odds of that? He said, picture this. Picture you took one person and you blindfolded them. 
and you put them in a room over here. And then while they're in the room over here, you went to Texas and you filled the whole state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars, the whole state. Then you went in and you grabbed one of those coins and you put a check mark on it, threw it into the pile, mixed everything up. Then you went back over here, got the buffoon that you blindfolded, dropped him in the middle of Texas and said, pick up a coin. The odds of him picking up that one coin in the two feet of coins covering the whole state of Texas on his first try, those are the odds of eight. This is the kind of God that we're talking about. This is the kind of God that we serve, that he is faithful, that he has proven over and over again that I can do whatever it is I say I'm going to do. And the one we're gonna pick up with today is just one, one of hundreds of prophecies that God made, promises of this is what the Messiah is gonna look like. Promises, details of who we believe to be Jesus. This is what it's going to look like. And we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter nine, starting in verse one. And it's gonna sound a little, a little different. We're gonna have to do some work here to understand what's going on, but I'm telling you, it paints a beautiful picture that what God had in mind all along and what is in store for us so that we will never be forgotten. Take a look at this. Chapter nine, verse one, heading is hope in the Messiah. It says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road, that runs between the Jordan and the sea, well, it'll be filled with glory. And the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. And you, God, will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. You, they will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war, they will be all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. And I know that's a lot there, but I just want to start with the first line. Let's read that one more time. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Can we just celebrate this, this fact that darkness will not go on forever. Sadness will not go on forever. Loneliness will not go on forever. What you are experiencing now will not go on forever. COVID will not go on forever because God is sending a great light. God is going to illuminate the darkness. The darkness has nothing to do. It can't stand against it. The darkness as dark as it seems, as heavy as it seems, it will pass like the fog in the night. It will be gone and a light will shine. And then as he starts talking, it's starting to sound eerily familiar. This idea of, of we're taking it as of like, I've heard some of this before. Even though this is in Isaiah, it's 700 years before the birth of Jesus, a lot of this is lining up. And the first word that, that comes up that, that makes you think about this is, is Galilee. 
Galilee. Well, if you remember in Jesus's life and ministry, that's where a lot of it happens is in Galilee. That's where they first see this light. That's where Jesus begins to do all of these miracles and all of everyone begins to surround him and follow him. It's in, it's in Galilee and that's, that's where he says it's gonna start. And Matthew actually connects the dots for us even more clearly, look at this. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He first went to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Sounds eerily familiar, what Jesus is doing, where he's going, the ministry, and what this lines up with. But maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe it's just by chance. Maybe Jesus really wasn't doing it on purpose. No, Matthew makes it very clear. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah that there would be this great light that would come in. And then the rest of it describes what's gonna happen when this great light comes. And people are in darkness, but then they see this light. And you gotta think when God talks to people, he wants it to make sense to them. He's not trying to be this mysterious being. So he gives them something that they can look to that would make sense to them. He says, when you see this light, you're gonna celebrate, you're gonna throw a party. And then he uses the two best examples that humanity back then could know of what it's like to throw a party. He said, it'll be like a harvest party. And if you know anything, you know that there's nothing like a harvest time party because a harvest time party don't stop. <laughs> I mean, think about it. These are people that lived and died off of the harvest. That's how they fed their family. That's how they took care of everything. They planted, they prayed, they waited, they waited. And when the harvest came in, they threw a party. You could not stop it. He said, that's what it's gonna be like. That's the closest thing I could tell you that your mind can wrap around. That's what it's gonna be like. And then he says, it'll be like a warrior coming home from battle, being able to enjoy the plunders, the war, is over. And then he gives this beautiful picture of, of, of a soldier sitting down and taking off his blood-stained clothes and boots and throwing them into the fire. It says, it will be fuel to the fire. That's what's gonna happen when this great light comes. And when then we begin to see all of these connections between who Isaiah is talking about and who Jesus claims to be. Maybe he's the same one. Maybe this bright light is the light of the world, which Jesus claimed to be. It's looking pretty good. Look at how Isaiah closes it. He said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. This is the Christmas message. This is why we get together and why we celebrate. That our God came and we celebrate him in a baby, eight pounds, 12 ounces, whatever he was. But that was not the end. That was just the beginning because that great light would shine and go brighter and brighter. And God would be described not as just a baby, but this bright light would become a wonderful counselor, 
a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. And this government he's ushering in, this government of peace, it will never end. This is why we celebrate Christmas the way that we do, because to us, a child is given. And the word that really stood out to me this time when I was reading it was wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. And I think we can understand wonderful, right? I mean, I get that. But counselor, what, what does that mean? Is it like a therapist? Is it like someone you can go to and talk, to your, talk with about your problems? Kind of. But what's fascinating is a lot of times when this word was used, this counselor word, especially in the Old Testament, it, it had a, a war connotation to it. It, it was a counselor of war, someone that, that specialized in tactics and strategies. The picture I get is of like someone in the tent, you know, the military tent where they bust in and they're like pat, patting on maps and like, hey, we need to go this way. We're going to flank left, move right. Everyone's going to, yeah, this, that's a war counselor. Someone that knows the tactics, someone that knows the strategy, someone that can lead the army through the way. He says, this son He's going to be a wonderful counselor. Maybe you're thinking, what war? It's the war that's been going on from the beginning. The war from the beginning of humanity. Where humanity rebelled against God in a garden. And then forever, from that point, there has been this gap that separated us from God. And you got to think, how did that happen? Well, there's another counselor, an evil counselor. We call the devil. And I know as soon as I say that, you're immediately starting to like, okay, you really believe that it's 2020, bro? I do. But I'm not talking about the devil from the cartoons. I'm not talking about the devil with the pointy mustache. I'm not talking about the devil that seems to be playing like weird tricks on people and pushing bricks onto their heads. That's not the way the Bible talks about the devil. It, it call him the accuser more than anything. He's filled with, with, with lies. They call him the father of lies. And he's deceptive and he's creative and he's strong and he's really good at what he does, whispering lies into our minds to get us to believe lies, to get us to believe things that aren't true. Three big areas where the devil works the best. Three areas. There are lies about who I am, who God is, and who other people are. If you, if you think back in your life, and maybe you're living in it right now, if you think back to your lowest moment, your darkest moments, areas where you felt forgotten, you probably believed lies about at least one of, if not all three of these. In your lowest moments, you had doubts of who you were. You believed that no one wanted you, that you weren't worth it. You didn't even like being around you. Why would someone else want to be around you? And you find yourself with that toxic thought, thinking about it over and over and over again. It's the work of the devil, who God is. In our darkest moments, in moments where we feel separated from other people and from ourselves and from God, we have a distorted view of who God is. We've believed these whispers and rumors from the devil of God has left you. 
God has abandoned you. Why would God love you? Have you met you? He's not putting up with you anymore. He's gone. It's just me and you. You're alone. Lies about other people. Do you begin to believe so much about who you are that you're not worth it and God's abandoned you? You immediately begin to project that on other people and to say, you know what? If you don't want me around, I don't want to be around. And we move ourselves deeper and deeper into darkness. Please see this. This is why Jesus came. Because it took a counselor of evil to bring us into this situation that we have. God would send a counselor to bring us out of the situation that we are in. A counselor that would meet the lies of the devil with the truth of God. That when we're in that dark place, when we're in that lonely place, when we're trying to understand why, God would reach down through his spirit and meet the whispers of the devil with the truth of God. When we have these conversations about who am I? And our minds begin to circle back. We can stand on the promises of God of the Christmas story and what it tells us. Who am I? I'm worth everything to God. I'm the one that God said that he would send heaven to come here, that Jesus would live this life for me because he loved me. Who am I? I'm made in the image of God. Who am I? Forgotten. God knows how many hairs are on my head. He hasn't forgotten me, nor will he ever forsake me. That's who I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. That's who I am. Who's God? God's abandoned you. God's walked away. God doesn't exist. God isn't real. God says, look at Christmas. I said 700 years before what I was going to do. And then I came and did it. I sent my only son. I'm not far away. I'm close. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm with you every step of the way. There's nowhere that you could go to get away from me. That's the kind of God I am. Who are other people? They no longer become enemies. We begin to see them through the lens of God, which means every person, even the people that hate you and despise you, the people that you have a hard time liking, they are people that God loves and Jesus died for. That changes how I interact with them. That changes my posture. That changes the way we can interact with one another, with ourselves and with God. And this is what Jesus came to do. To show us, to meet all of the lies, all the things that we're holding on to and say, no, 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 you don't have to believe that. I wanna make it overly clear. This is the truth that I'm a wonderful counselor. And he doesn't stop there. He not only says, I'm a wonderful counselor. I can meet every objection the devil has. I not only have a strategy and tactics, but I'm also a mighty God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, meaning everything that I say, everything I tell you, you can do. You have the power to do it because you have my power. You are backed by a mighty God and nothing can stop. Nothing can cancel it. The darkness can't do anything with it. A mighty God that we get to look to on this Christmas. And then this one, an everlasting father. Who is God? It gets distorted sometimes, but no, no, no. He's not only a wonderful counselor. He's not only a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. And I know I'm not a perfect father, but I am a father and I have three kids three kids that I love so much. And as a father, there is nothing that I wouldn't do 
There is nothing that could stop me. There's not a person in this room or watching online that could stop me from protecting them if something would try to come against them. There is nothing they could do to ever make me stop loving them. Nothing. And God, when he could have said anything, he says, I'm an everlasting father. This you can know. Cut through the lies. I'm a father that will never give up on you, that will pursue you and chase you down and meet you with love over and over again. Is there a lie that you're believing in? A lie that is stopping you from being able to celebrate this Christmas season. A lie that is holding you back from your relationship with God. A lie that is holding you back from yourself and being able to experience the life God has for you. Because Jesus came to put an end to all of that. To say that you are loved more than you know and I'm going to show you how. And that's where it gets us to Christmas. And there's this fascinating thing about Christmas. Because it not only shows us the character of God we can trust in the fulfilled prophecies of God, but it also shows us the creativity of God. You see, Christmas not only shows us the character of God, but the creativity of God, meaning I can trust God is gonna do what he said he's gonna do, but I'm gonna trust that I have no idea I'm gonna know how God is gonna do what he said he's gonna do. That I gotta trust not just the prophecy, but the process and how he sees that he is gonna handle it. You see, I mentioned earlier when I was in kindergarten, that feeling of being forgotten. I was not forgotten that day, not by a long shot. In that moment, I felt forgotten. In that moment, it, was, it felt real to me that someone had forgotten me, but the truth was, it was the furthest thing from it. You see, every day my grandpa picked me up from kindergarten. Every day he left General Motors downtown Indianapolis and made his way out to Avon. That day was no different. He was very excited to come and pick me up. He was so excited that he was going just a little bit too fast. And the police officers wanted to stop and talk to him and ask him some questions about why he was going so fast. But in that moment, I couldn't see all that was being done on the other side of town. I couldn't see my grandpa's intentions. I couldn't see what he was doing but there was something going on. And in that moment where I felt alone, my grandpa, there was a Silverado chasing me down in that moment. Whoa, coming after me, left and right. When we look at Christmas, we have to come to this spot and to say, I'm gonna trust the character of God, that he did what he said he was gonna do, but I'm also gonna trust the creativity of God and trust that it's not going to look the way I think it will. Because look at this, just think about it. When God, could have sent anything to save us. He sent a baby. He could have sent a pack of rhinoceroses. He could have sent a sea monster. He could have sent at least a grown adult, but he chose to send a baby. Think about that. That's not how we would have played it out. And would God could have sent anyone to save us. He sent himself. There was no shortage of angels, no shortage of things that he could have created to send to do it, but he sent himself, showing that it is going to look very, very different than anything that we could possibly dream up or imagine. If you look at this book and you open it up and you read the stories, I tell you nine out of 10 times you open this up and you're reading through an account of someone's life, it does not end the way you thought it would. 
If you were writing the story, it does not end because it seems like there's no answer. It seems like the odds are too high, but then God shows up in the last minute or God works in a way that no one saw coming to do something that no one could have expected. Think about Moses. God wants to free the people of Israel from Egypt, from slavery. How's he gonna do it? I'm gonna send a baby in a basket down some water. And then what? Well, then he's gonna kill a guy. And then he's gonna get kicked out of Egypt. And then he's gonna be alone for 40 years. Okay, then what? Then he's gonna go to Pharaoh, where I'm behind him. Oh, then Pharaoh's gonna say yes. He's gonna say no a lot. A lot, no, okay. Okay, but then the people get to go. They get to go free. Yes, and they leave. And Egypt never, leave, never come, no, they do, okay. They follow him. They follow him to the sea. And then what happens? They're at a sea. There's nowhere for them to go. God opens up the sea. There's a million things he could have done. Only God knows why he did it that way. We come to this spot, this Christmas season, where I just want us to look and to say maybe, maybe in 2020, there's something that God is doing Maybe in 2020, there's something that we've tried to push past. Maybe in 2020, there's some lies that we've been buying, holding on to. There's been some darkness that's kind of pushing us out of who we believe we are and who we once were. And there's been a lot of pain and a lot of horrible things that have happened in 21. And I don't want to discredit any of that, but I just want to ask, is there anything God could be doing in this? Is there a centering of God's people? Is there a refining of God's people? Is that bright light still shining even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of 2020? Because I believe no matter what we face, there's no match for what God is coming with. That he is the mighty counselor that has a plan through all of it. That he is a mighty God that has the power to go through it. That he's the everlasting father that is gonna hold our hands all the way until we get to the end of this thing. And I just want to leave us today with an exclamation point. Because maybe you're still sitting there going, I, I hear you, but I don't know. Because I feel alone. And I feel forgotten. And I feel looked past. I just want to go to Isaiah one more time. But this time, Isaiah 49, verse 14. Jerusalem was asking the same questions, thinking the same things, believing the same lies. It says, yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Why not just cancel Christmas? Why not just put our heads down and wait? Look at God's response. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. I've written your names on the palms of my hands. You ever written something on the palms of your hand? Why'd you do it? So you'd never forget it, right? You wanted to make sure that you remembered. God says, would I forget 
how would I forget I, I, everything that I do, every move that I make, I, I'm seeing your names. I'm doing this for you. And this picture becomes even more clear when we think about the palms of God and we think of Jesus. Jesus, that, that sun that was given to us, that bright light in a dark place. He wouldn't stay a baby. He would rise up and he would live this perfect life that none of us could ever possibly live. And what did he get for his perfection? He was met with darkness. He was arrested, beaten, ridiculed, mocked. Then Jesus, our savior, was taken to a cross and I want you to see this. He hung on a cross, executed like a criminal. Where were the nails? In his palms. Those are the palms of God, meaning those nails went into our names. Those nails went in and Jesus paid every bit that we owed, every bit of sin, every mistake, anything that could ever separate us from God, God took care of it on that cross. And when you think about this, the creativity of God, the reason so many people miss Jesus because they thought he was there to proclaim war against Rome. And they looked out and they said, look, this is your king, he's being killed on a cross. Jesus was not there to do war with Rome. He was going after the counselor from the beginning, the father of darkness, the father of lies. He had his sights, sights set on something much, much higher. Humans, other people are never the enemy. It is evil forces. It's not flesh and blood. And Jesus went to the cross. Think about the creativity of this what God was able to do with a thing like the cross, which was a tool of execution. Now it is a, I can't even pull my sleeve up. It is a sign of hope and love. The biggest sign the world has ever known. And it was once used to slaughter people. But God said, no, no, now be a mark of my love that you can never forget. Think about this. You, he was not going after Rome. He was going after our worst enemy. Our, our strongest enemy, the one that whispers in the back of our minds over and over again that one day you will die and one day it will all be darkness. One day you will be swallowed up with death and you will be forgotten and you will be left alone. Jesus on the cross, after he dies, he's thrown into an empty tomb. And in the darkest places, that tomb, a great light shone through. And in the darkness came this light defeating death. Death, the one that boasted that it would forever take us away from God, that there was nothing to reconcile us back to him. Jesus said, not on my watch. They're coming with me, their hands, my hands are together. That we are reconciled once and forever, that Jesus would defeat sin and death. Darkness would be removed that we can place our hope in the hands of God. Your name is already there. All we have to do is place our faith next to it. And if this is you for the first time and you're seeing who Jesus really is and who God really is and what he's all about and that he is closer than you think and you wanna place your hope in him, that can start today. If you wanna place your hope in him 
we are here for you. We're going to have people up front. We have a number you can text. Text Jesus to 87221. We want to begin this process with you. This walk of trusting the character of God and trusting the creativity of God. And for all of us, I don't know what's coming next. I don't know if 21 will be any better than 2020 or if we'll get to 2021 and be looking back like, God, take us back to 2020. This is even worse. But what I do know is no matter what we face, we face it with a powerful God. We face it with a God who defies the odds. We face it with a God who can't be stopped. We face it with a God that we've seen move mountains. We've seen God, when people thought that we're just trying to get to heaven, God would say, you wanna know creativity? I'm gonna bring heaven to earth. That it's not gonna be a waiting game. We don't wait for darkness to dissipate. We go into it, that we are the light that goes, that we're bringing heaven to earth. And we believe no matter what we face, God is with us. And it doesn't matter because it can't stand against us when we go. It's not, it's light in the midst of the darkness. I'm not saying there will be no frustration, there will be no pain, but I will say that it can't match what's coming with us. And let's go believing that God is able, that we've seen him do it and we believe we're gonna see him do it again. So I just wanna pray that right now. Pray with me and then we're gonna respond and we are gonna celebrate all that God is and all that he's done. And we look ahead believing that he's not done yet. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for not just your character, not just for the fulfilled promises. God, we thank you for your creativity. God, in doing what we could never ask or imagine, you exceed expectations. You prove that there's always a way that the darkness can never overcome the light, that you went to war and you won. We celebrate your victory. We celebrate you and we believe God. We believe because we've seen you move. We've seen you move mountains. We've seen you move relationships. We've seen you move our hearts. We've seen you move our minds. And God, we know that you don't always show up the way that we think you will. But God, help us to trust you in the process. Help us to trust you along the way. Help us to trust you when it's dark. Help us to trust you when the lies come in. Let us meet them with truth. Truth of who you are. Truth of who you say we are. God, we look to you for all things and we trust you. We don't know what's coming, but we know you're coming with us. Jesus, we love you. It's in your perfect name we pray. Amen.